February 22nd at 1.14 p.m. in the East Coast, and welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room Podcast. I'm Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the TDN, and I also co-host the Down the Stretch show every Saturday morning from 10 to 1 Eastern on Sirius XM Radio. Hi, Bill. I'm Randy Moss with NBC Sports, uh, normally in my home office, but here, as you can see, I'm at an airport. I'm told this is the first time the podcast, uh, a podcast host, co-host, has ever originated from an airport. I'm in Atlanta on my way to Hot Springs for the Rebel Stakes this weekend. Well, delighted to have you here, Randy. Zoe Cabman here working for XBTV and First Racing, along with Santa Anita, and I'm here at home. I'm sure we're probably going to have the gardeners come in the back gate in just a moment, <laughs> and Doodle's going to bark. So all is good in the world. Yeah, we have no Lucy today because she's obviously not at the airport with Randy. So Doodle will carry the flag of our TDN writer's room mascot for this week. Okay, guys, let's get into last weekend's racing and two big races at the fairgrounds, one for the girls, one for the boys, the Risen Star Stakes for the horses eyeing the Kentucky Derby. But I generally thought the Rachel Alexandra was the bigger story of the two because of Hoosier Philly. And we all know the background. We had Tom Amos on last week, and he was just raving about this horse. There was an awful lot of hype. She looked really, really good in her races last year. And we were even speculating that maybe she would become a Kentucky Derby uh, candidate after presumably winning the Rachel Alexander, maybe going on to the Louisiana Derby. Um, None of that happened. Um, You know, I'm looking to find any excuses for her. I can't find any. She was third beaten eight and a half lengths. She got a 70 buyer figure in there. Um, I talked to Tom this morning and he mentioned a little bit about some problems she had. He said three or four strides into the race, the ground kind of broke out from underneath her and she stumbled a little bit, but that's not a serious excuse. He's scratching his head. He doesn't know what to think. Uh, he's not even committing to her next race yet. So, um, you know, it, it's tough because when we build these horses up like we did, and I think with justification, it leaves sort of a hollow feeling when they throw in a clinker like that, Randy. Yeah, Bill. I mean, look, I, I thought that she had an excuse. Now, whether it's enough of an excuse to warrant a performance like that, uh, that is debatable. But when the ground broke out from underneath her at the start, it put her behind horses and they were going pretty slowly up front. And she was crying to run and kept having to be restrained, restrained, restrained. And after a while, with a lot of horses, especially free running horses like Hoosier Philly, can discourage them a little bit. Now, when she got to the top of the stretch and she got clear and she rolled up on the outside, I said, "Okay, here we go. And then she came up empty in the stretch. But I think the reality, as you mentioned, the 70 buyer speed figure, uh, the winner, pretty mischievous, got an 83. I think we all expected that Hoosier Philly could certainly top an 83 buyer speed figure. So given the way she was training and given the start and all that what happened in between, I'm not a big fan of what trainers like to say, draw a line through it. And you can't just draw a line through something that that, that happened. Uh, but I think she'll bounce back and I think she'll probably uh, come back and win the Fairgrounds Oaks. Is she as good as we thought she was? Uh, maybe not. Uh, you know, the criticism was that the speed figures never really matched the hype. And maybe she's not quite as good as we thought. But I don't think that race is representative at all of, uh, of her ability. All right. Well, we're kind of missing the winner here. Let's not take anything away from pretty mischievous who did win it. And she's on her way to the Kentucky Oaks for trainer Brendan Walsh and a dolphin. And that was a gutsy, hard fought win over Miracle who's the daughter of Mendelssohn, who I actually thought she ran better than I ever thought she would. I've always liked this Philly miracle. So I think the top two are about even moving forward. As far as who's your Philly, if you spoke to Tom and he didn't announce that there was any problem, I, I wondered maybe if she hurt herself a little bit leaving the gate. And Tom has not alluded to that fact whatsoever. What I took from the race is that she ran like a short horse. 
she was loaded until she got to the stretch and she just folded like a cheap suit, basically. If you look at the work pattern, we mentioned this on last week's show. She had three works. I thought they were good enough and sensational, but they were three works. The first one coming on January the 28th and then two more after that. Is, is that enough? I don't know how she gallops. I don't know how she was training at Woodford. There's no other recorded works. Perhaps she was a short horse and maybe Tom's kicking himself for that. Um, so I'm yet to draw a line through her for that but she's going to have to improve markedly. And if she did quarter up and pull up like a tired horse, then I think she will. But I mean, the story right here is pretty mischievous getting a win. I want to get uh, your opinion on something Randy said. Are we, and by we, I mean the three of us, most of the media and Tom Amos himself, because you know a lot of what was uh, going on here was, you know, people are, wow, Tom Amos, he's this great trainer. Right. I like how he's talking about the course. Were we getting carried away with ourselves? We're, we're, all guilty. we're all guilty of that at any time. I mean, that's just that's just how people are. They get excited. You see an undefeated Philly. The good thing now is that she's not undefeated. And now you can just go on at your own pace and you don't have to worry about keeping a horse undefeated. You can talk to any trainer. If you are running an undefeated horse, the pressure is on. Once they get beat, that's plain sailing from that. They've, they've been beaten. They can get beat again. Every horse gets beat eventually. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, th the jury's still out on how good she is. If she comes back in the fairgrounds, Oaks, uh, we'll get a pretty good line right there. It reminds me a little bit. It's different circumstances. But four years ago, uh, Tom had another three-year-old filly who was even a heavier favorite than Hoosier filly. Serengeti Empress in the fairgrounds, Oaks, was one to five. She was actually three to ten, finished last. Now, as it turns out, she had a bleeding episode, uh, which is, you know, Hoosier Philly doesn't have that excuse that we know of. And she bounced back in her next start and won the Kentucky Oaks in a, in a bit of a mild upset. So I think, uh, you know, the final verdict is yet to be reached on exactly how good Hoosier Philly is. Yeah, and we will find out. And again, I talked to Tom this morning, preparation for the show. He's not even committing yet to the uh, Fairgrounds Oaks. So I imagine that's probably where she will run next. But, you know, he's now you know putting the brakes on this. You know, let's take our time here. Let's talk to the owners. Let's see how she trains before, you know, we, we take the next step. Okay, the Risen Star Stakes on the same card. Um, my first observation is that Fairgrounds needs to invest some money in better light, for one thing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that was, yeah. I mean, they pretty much ran that race in the dark. Now, we're going to talk to Brad Cox a little bit later in this morning's podcast. He's the Green Group Guest of the Week. But it was the Brad Cox Show again with him winning with Angel of Empire. But one thing that to me was so notable and I brought up to Brad was uh, flip-flop the odds and that's how they finished. The favorite was Cox's victory formation. Uh, he was ninth. Tappet's Conquest was the second choice among Cox's horses at five to one. He finished fourth. An Angel of Empire, when do you ever get 13 to one on Brad Cox in a race at the fairgrounds? Angel of Empire won the race. Uh, Randy, again, the buyer number, uh, and again, I understand it's not the, always the total story, but kind of uh, an 87. Um, you know, I, to be honest, I, I mean, right now, Koth could put Fred the stable pony in, in, into the starting gate and he'd probably, have it, probably win one of these races. So I'm not going to discount anything out of Brad Cox's barn. But I, I think there are certainly uh, better out there than Angel of Empire, including horses in Cox's own barn. Yeah. I mean, look, we know we know Angel of Empire is doing well. We know that the distance is not going to be a problem. Uh, he looks suited, you know, for as long as they want to run. We know he's on the improve. But the reality is that if the Kentucky Derby were run this weekend, he'd be in the neighborhood of 20 to one and maybe even as high as 30 to one. Uh, the race pretty much fell apart at the end. They went the last three eighths of a mile in almost 40 seconds. We talked about how fast the pace was likely to be. The race shape was such that any of the horses close to the front uh, finished near the back and Angel of Empire and the runner up and, and the third, you know, I mean, they all uh, came from fairly far back in the pack. Two fills wasn't that far back, but it was a race shape where the further back you were almost, uh, the better you were going to be in the end. I actually thought Tappet's Conquest, the fourth place finisher, was the best horse in there after the fact. 
Uh, he was five to six wide all the way around the second turn and was still trying to run down the lane. So I think Tappet's Conquest is a horse to watch out for in the Louisiana Derby if that's where he winds up. But I'll be surprised if any of these horses go on and make uh, a lot of noise in the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, watching the race, it seemed like nobody wanted to win at the eighth pole. They were just trading places. And uh, the thing that really amazed me was Brad Cox is winning at 45%. When he teams up with Louis Saez, they win at about the same. And this horse paid $29.40. Now, I heard Joe Christopher, who works for the fairgrounds down there, he actually liked this horse, and he touted him earlier on the week. So good for you, Joe. But $29.40 for Saez Cox horse in a graded stake. That, that is basically unheard of. And then I was thinking, well, let me look up and see the past winners of the Risen Star, you know, how they move on and go on to the Derby or other races. And it actually surprised me. It's good. So we've got Angel of Empire for this year, Epicenter. He needs no introduction. Mandaloon, who, of course, won the Kentucky Derby. Mr. Monomoy and Monomist, that's when the race was split. War of Will, Bravazo. Gervin, and then Gunrunner in 2016. So some good horses have come out of this race, not necessarily to go on to win the Derby, but there will be some good horses that come out. So I was pleasantly surprised to see that. This is how good a meat Cox is having at the fairgrounds. He won the race and it lowered his win percentage because he <laughs> was 33% in the race as the only outcome, the, the only favorable outcome he could have, and he's winning 43% or so going uh, into there. So, uh, And he's not he's doing well at Oakland, but not nearly as well at Fairgrounds. What he's doing there is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, the other really big race of the weekend was the Razorback at Oakland Park. And every time Wayne Lucas wins a race like this, you got to have a big smile on your face. He wins it with Last Samurai, who was coming back in three weeks after running fourth in the Pegasus World Cup. Uh, he's 87 years old. Uh, Christian Torres, who's riding great at Oakland Park, is a leading rider that was his first ever graded stakes winner. And how about this? I'm getting way ahead of myself, but how about this for a scenario? Uh, Wayne Lucas will turn 88 on the day of the Jockey Club Gold Cup. How about Last Samurai winning the Jockey Club Gold Cup at Saratoga for Lucas? Fairy tale stuff? Yeah, perhaps. But, you know, right now there is uh, so many fairy tale stories to come with, uh, you know, the trainer who, you know, needs no uh, introduction and, you know, still at this age is doing it at the highest level. He doesn't get, you know, 25 of these like Brad Cox and Todd Fletcher do, but he proved that he can make the best of, of a good horse and win a big race like this. Yeah, Bill, and, and Wayne will be the first to admit that he likes to dance all the dances, right? I mean, he'll run sometimes and you're kind of thinking to yourself, you know, why is he coming back here so quickly? And the thing about Last Samurai, it's not just that he ran three weeks earlier uh, in the Pegasus World Cup, and ran a, you know, creditable fourth. Wayne put him on a van and vanned him 1,200 miles to Gulfstream and then 1,200 miles back and then ran him three weeks later to boot. Uh, and he admits it's old school, but it worked. And uh, yeah, kudos, kudos to the coach. It'll be tough to be in Wayne's barn. You have to be tough. And uh, some horses thrive on it. I mean, we saw Secret Oaths. She thrived on it. This guy is obviously thriving on it. On it. Uh, Wayne Lucas himself thrives on it. 4,892 wins to date for D. Wayne Lucas, the Hall of Famer. Just truly remarkable. And he's just an old softy now. You know, he's the guy everyone wants to love. 20 years ago, everyone wanted to hate him. But now he's in his 80s. Everybody loves him. They love his wife, Laurie. She's awesome as well. So, And he's been good for the game. He's been outspoken. And uh, now he's an advocate, which is really cool. Um, so those were the major races of the weekend. Or am I forgetting something, Zoe? Oh, of course you're forgetting something. Oh. What's wrong with you? It was the Winter Nationals at Santa Anita. And when I'm talking Winter Nationals, I'm talking corgis. We had over 5,000 people come out to watch the corgis. They had heats every 20 minutes out there on the infield. I pegged it early. Last year's runner-up was a, a corgi called Emmett. Loves the track. He loves the going. He handles the dirt course very well at Santa Anita Park, and he came flying. He won his heat by 10. That was on the grass. Turf or dirt, he can do it all. <laughs> Emmett was the winner of the Corgi Winter Nationals, and it really was a great day. They'll be back on Memorial Day weekend as well at Santa Anita. 
Well, congratulations to Emmett and congratulations to Zoe Catman for picking the winner. Versatile <laughs> dog can run on turf or dirt. We like to see that in our corgis. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Keeneland will re-offer six two-year-olds previously purchased as yearlings at last year's September sale, all of which are currently training in Ocala. Offers will be accepted from Monday, February the 27th to Wednesday, March the 1st. Visit keeneland.com slash re-offer for full instructions and details. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. this place could talk, it would roar. It would say, this is racing, this beating heart in the heart of horse country, steady and strong beneath the roar, reminding us why, for the love of the horse, for generations to come. Just put together like a machine, and he had a great mind. Everything about him was what you'd want. Tis the law, pops the cork in the champagne. Tis the law is gonna win the first leg of the Triple Crown. I've never seen him get tired. Respect the law, tis the law. His structure is just perfect, his bone is perfect. He's left the others behind. He's gonna win the run, happy Travers. He's everything you would look for in a horse. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Coolmore. This past weekend, Classic Empire had a super Saturday when Angel of Empire scored the upset in the Grade 2 Risen Star Stakes at the fairgrounds. The three-year-old trained by Brad Cox heads next to the Louisiana Derby. That win came just a few hours after Classy Edition won the Grade 3 Royal Delta Stakes. In other news from Coolmore Stallions, Uncle Moe's highly regarded Bishop's Bay lived up to the hype at the fairgrounds, winning his debut to become trainer Brad Cox's 2000th winner. Well done, Brad. And at Aqueduct, Mendelssohn's three-year-old filly Amanda's Folly romped in her maiden win, giving Mendelssohn his 12th winner of the year. Best of all, second crop Stallions. Well, the news off the track this week was more Bob Baffert self. And I know, guys, we're all sick of talking about this. And, you know, and I think we're going to share the same sentiment. Let's uh, let's all move on. But before, you know, we now have some finality to his situation for this year's Kentucky Derby. On Friday, uh, his effort to get an injunction against Churchill Downs that would have allowed him to race his horses in the Kentucky Derby was shot down uh, in court. He lost that court battle. And soon thereafter, the horses were on the move. Uh, the uh, reincarnate is entered in this Saturday's Rebel with Tim Yachtin as the trainer. A bunch of horses were nominated to the Gotham Stakes with uh, Yachtin listed as the trainer on three of them. And Brittany Russell named as the trainer on uh, the fourth. Uh, we, I don't know for sure, but I imagine Arabian Night and the rest will probably be going to the Tim Yachtin barn as well. Um we are getting closer to the end of this nonsense, I suppose. But we now know the situation. You know, it is what it is. Um, but I don't think the horse's chances are compromised in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Tim Yachtin is a very good trainer. Bob Baffert's done all the heavy lifting. Um, you know, for the owners who want to win the Derby, I can see why they're going forward with this. And uh, this is the plan for Tim Yachtin, presumably, to train most of these horses. We'll see what happens, Randy. Yeah, and Yachtin is, of course, a longtime former assistant to Baffert who knows the way Baffert trains his horses, and so he's got some level of familiarity with where these horses are at. And we talk about it because, I mean, this is a high-profile thing. I mean, you're talking Arabian Night, you're talking Reincarnate, you're talking National Treasure, you know, you're talking probably three or four other three-year-olds that are maybe laying in the weeds that could jump up and run a big race. So a lot of key contenders there that, uh, that are going to be affected by this in one way or another, but probably not seriously. I agree with you. It's one of those cases where you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. We saw Tim Yachtin pick up Messier. He ran him in the Santa Anita Derby, ran him in the Kentucky Derby. Things didn't pan out, but are you going to turn down a horse that's one of the leading contenders for the Kentucky Derby just because of all this? No, you're going to take whatever's given to you and move along. And Tim is more than capable of handling whatever is thrown at him. Now, last year, while this was going on, uh, Baffert was also subsequently suspended by the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission. So um, the horse is moving forward throughout the Triple Crown. He was not able to train in those either. But again, presumably, if he were to win the Kentucky Derby or Tim Yachtin, 
Weber were to win the Kentucky Derby with one of his horses this year, they would be back in the Baffert barn for the Preakness and the remainder of the Triple Crown. So that's the latest on Bob Baffert. And, uh, you know, we are finally, hopefully, getting to the end of this uh, story that has not been fun for anybody. Um, what was a fun story? Steve Asmussen, I think sometimes we take for granted how good this guy is. And these numbers are just staggering. And on Monday at Oaklawn Park, he won his 10,000th career race. And I was assigned to, to write about this. Uh, he lost 28 straight races after 999. It's like, come on, Steve, let's get this over with. But, you, you know, we knew this was coming, um, obviously. Um, but the bigger picture, he's only 57 years old. And he's got many good years left for him. He's going to get to 15,000, 16,000 easily. And also, I think he's setting records that will never be broken. First of all, you know, there's never been another Steve Asmussen, a guy who has the potential horse of the year in his barn and also has three maiden claimers running on the card at Sam Houston at once. I mean, he's got this insatiable thirst to win. Uh, but also, there's so, uh, so much less racing now than there was even 10 years ago. There's not the opportunity pile up these big numbers. So I think his uh, other record in 2009 was 650 wins, the most ever in a single year for a trainer. I think those are unbreakable records. And, uh, you know, hats off to a guy who just, when it comes to winning, has no equal. Jerry Hollendorfer is second with 7,759 winners. And just by comparison, Todd Pletcher has 5,500 winners. So uh, Steve Asmussen has 4,500 more winners than Todd Pletcher, which give you some idea of just how good he is at getting to the winner's circle, Randy. Yeah, well, you know the old cliche, though. Records are made to be broken, right? Uh, I feel confident in saying that the three of us will never see those <laughs> records be broken. <laughs> if they are broken, it'll be after we are long gone. Uh, but really, the only horse racing record that I would go out on a limb and say will never be broken is Woody Stevens' five consecutive Belmont Stakes wins. Other than that, someday, somewhere, uh, another trainer is going to pop up, and it wouldn't – of course, again, I'll be gone, but it's not shocking now to think about another Steve Asmussen coming up at some point in the future. But, man, I mean, what an unbelievable accomplishment that is. And it's been a family affair, affair all along. You know, he was raised in Texas. His parents, Keith and Marilyn, he was a jockey at 16. He was basically born into the sport and his kids have joined him. You know, I can remember being at the fairgrounds in the late 90s and he just had a small barn in the corner. I was clipping horses for him. Scott Blasey was galloping. Darren Fleming was galloping. And that was it. He had about 15 horses. So I, he's just come on in leaps and bounds and kudos to his assistants, his hot walkers, the whole team that goes together. And now his son, Keith, is riding and working closely with him. It really is a family affair. And one thing that shouldn't get lost in all of this, you mentioned the amount of wins, obviously 10,000, Todd Pletcher, 5,500. But Asmussen has started almost twice as many horses as Todd Pletcher. 49,213 going into today, Wednesday compared to Todd's 24,821. So double the amount of horses he's entered, double the amount of wins. He's winning at a lifetime 20%. Todd Pletcher's winning at a lifetime 23%. So he's starting twice as many horses. He's winning twice as many races, and that is what Todd does. But guys, he's also an owner. If you look up his stats and how many horses he's claimed in the past couple of years, it's amazing. He has run over 1,300 races. No, 1,300 wins as an owner. 1,337 purses, over $22 million. So if you think he's won 10,000 races, 1,300 of those were for himself. Steve Asmussen, owner, trainer. That's a pretty cool stat. You know, one of the things, obviously, that makes Steve what he is, is not just horsemanship, but it's his ability to put horses in the right spots to win races. And in order to do that, you've got to have a pretty objective opinion of your own horses. Uh, one of the things that Jerry Bailey and I like to do when we're covering a major race at any racetrack where Steve Esmondson is at, even if he doesn't have a horse in that race, is go to Steve and say, 
you've been watching these horses in the morning. What do you think about these horses? And he'll give you an unvarnished opinion and a damn accurate opinion. And when he does have a horse in the race, he'll tell you off the record, eh, I don't think I don't think this horse has much of a shot. And he's almost always right. But he's got a very good opinion about uh, his own horses and where to place them. Well, guys, this week is a new segment on the TDN Writers Room called First Things First at Santa Anita. And we're going to do this every week and try and have some fun. I got some very special guests lined up for this. First Things First presented by Santa Anita. And I'm here with two of my favorite jockeys, Frankie Dottori and Hall of Famer Mike Smith here. And guys, we're we're going to Saudi, right? We're going to Saudi, yeah. Going to Saudi. Wait. You're wearing the same colors. Yes, we're in the same race. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> you guys have both ridden there before. Mike, it's cost you money a couple of times when you've ridden there before. Tell me about your chances going forward with Tabor. Well, first of all, I plan on being a very good boy. Okay. And uh, abide by the rules. And uh, he's training extremely well. He's a very, very talented horse. Uh, a mile eight, one turn should be right up his alley. Uh, given the opportunity, he should run very well. And what about you? You're both riding for the same guy. And yeah. Bob basically said he's taking the two oldest guys in the room. Well, that's right, right? <laughs> that's how good he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he got that right, that fact right. Yes, uh, country grammar, yeah, it was second last year. Solid horse, uh, does not know how to run a bad race. Uh, or obviously, he's a little bit older than Tabor. But, uh, uh, you know, you know, he's going to run his solid usual race. So I'm expecting a good run. These are two kinds of horses where you have to pedal. We've seen Tabor working. He only goes as fast as you ride him. Country grammar, pretty much the same thing. You guys put enough to get rolling? <laughs> we should be. <laughs> <laughs> we are. 40 we... years uh, of probably uh, close to 100 between us <laughs> of, of doing this day in and day out. And, and, and look, man, he's guys in better shape right now than I, I think he's ever been. He's riding like a 20 year old right now. Four races yesterday? Four yesterday, yeah. and I'm just. Staying I like as... it because Mike was out of town. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's but I'm, easier for me. I'm staying as fit as can be, so we're, we're both ready and made the best horse win. There's, there's going to be 12 yeah. others in there. Exactly. Very, it's very, not, very it's tough. Not, it's not going to be a give me, you know what I mean? It's going to be a very tough competition. Uh, let's hope we get a decent draw and uh, let's hope the horses ship well, you know, because they're going halfway around the world, so it's not just around the corner. So we just fingers crossed that they're, they're, they're good health. Guys, wishing you both. Thank you. The best of luck. Thank you. Mwah. Mwah. Should Shut we do up. some push-ups? I'm still getting used to this. Should we do some push-ups? No, I might not get off. <laughs> <laughs> The classic meet continues with Big Cat Day at Santa Anita Park on the first Saturday, Saturday, March the 4th. There's a mandatory payout. The Pick 6 jackpot pool must pay out on Big Cat Day, March the 4th. The pool is estimated to reach $3 million. Play in the live money $3,500 ultimate betting challenge featuring thousands in prizes. Register at expressbet.com slash tournaments. The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by the PHBA. If you want to recoup your initial outlay fast, even if you spend time in an airport like me, a Pennsylvania bread or Pennsylvania sired Pennsylvania bread is the way to go. Last week, we told you about Pennsylvania bread Chase the Chaos winning the El Camino Royale Derby. Now, another Pennsylvania bread three-year-old has won a big race on the road to the Triple Crown. Yes, Angel of Empire, the Risen Star upset winner, bred in Pennsylvania by Forgotten Land Investment and Black Diamond Equine, then bought at Keeneland September by the Alba Family Stables. Brad Cox said all the big 100-point major prep races coming up are um, in the conversation, is the way he put it, for Angel of Empire, but the Louisiana Derby, March 25th, a logical next spot. Here in Pennsylvania, we're proud of our breeding program, the best in North America, but we're also proud to be leaders in this industry. The PA Horse Breeders Association is funding cutting edge research at Penn Vet to detect gene doping in thoroughbreds. And we endorsed the SAFE Act to help protect the most vulnerable horses. Plus, we're pleased to support the aftercare programs set up by our horsemen's groups. Just a few of the reasons why you should join us in Pennsylvania, the premier place to breed and race. The fastest horse of the week is brought to you by the Fast Stallions at Windstar Farms, such as the stallion Elliot Walden, once said was one of the fastest racehorses Windstar ever had. Which stallion is that? First, 
the fastest horse of the week. No surprise, it is Last Samurai. We told you about his Razorback handicap in which he mowed down West Willpower from off the base. Well, he earned a week high buyer in that race of 105. Wayne Lucas had previously won the Razorback. Guess when? 1985, 38 years earlier, was Wayne's first win in the Razorback. Last Samurai is owned by Kevin Horton and family, who are continuing with the Willis Horton Racing Stable after the death last October of the prominent Arkansas owner. Last Samurai, bred by Stone Street, is a five-year-old by Malibu Moon out of a first Samurai mare. Now, who is that fast sire at Windstar? As a three-year-old in 2020, Nashville flew up the charts with a bullet by winning his first three starts by a combined 24 and three-quarters lengths, the third of which was a win in the Perryville on the Breeders' Cup undercard in which he set a Keeneland track record for six furlongs, 107.89, that not only still stands, but it would have won the last two Breeders' Cup sprints by a wide margin. If speed is key, then Nashville has plenty to share, standing his first year at Windstar for a fee of $15,000. The Green Group is an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry with over 500 clients in the horse business and proven strategies to save you taxes. You can learn more at www.greenco.com. And we welcome in now this week's Green Group Guest of the Week, Brad Cox. Another Saturday in racing and another big afternoon for the Cox Stable in the Risen Star Stakes. Brad, you ran three horses, Victory Formation, Tappet's Conquest, Angel of Empire. Victory, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Victory Formation was the favorite. Tappet's Conquest was 5-1 to one and Angel of Empire was 13-1. to one. Yet they flip-flopped according to the odds so far as how the race was run with Angel of Empire winning at 13 to 1. Um, not surprised that you won the race, but maybe were you a little bit surprised with the outcome of your three horses? Honestly, maybe a little bit, but we expected all three to run well. I know I kind of have to say that, but honestly, I, I really did expect all three to run well. We really liked this Angel of Empire. Um, we we always knew the further the better for him. I mean, he's he's a beautiful colt. He's got plenty of leg underneath of him. He's got a good stride. He's not the fastest horse, which I think he kind of showed that. But as the distances get longer, he'll get better. And he each Saturday improved that. So Brad, we've this has been like a running narrative on the TDN podcast every week about all the three year olds you have in your stable. I mean, you talk about embarrassment of riches. And right now in the top 20 point totals for the Kentucky Derby, you have six of the top 20, including numbers one and three. But let's look ahead to the Rebel coming up on Saturday at Oakland with verifying and giant mischief. Got to give us a scouting report on those two. Uh, first of all, how do you feel about the draw, about post one for verifying? Uh, listen, I think he can handle it because I think he's a very good horse. Um, he, you know, he showed the ability to set close to a pace last time there at Oakland. Um, I think they went to half in 47. He was right there sitting off of it. So I think, you know, the, the fractions will be similar, maybe even quicker. I don't expect him necessarily to be on the lead, but somewhat forwardly placed, good stalking position. And, uh, you know, if he, if he runs as well as he's training, I think he's going to be right there. He's a good colt. Um, giant mischief, um, you know, very good colt. Um, you know, listen, he did he, – he just kind of set, step, took a step back at the start in the, the Remington race. Um, thought he was loaded, ready to roll that night. He, he ran a – I thought he ran a winning race, obviously. Just didn't get away well. Big middle move, kind of flat, maybe just a little bit late, and the winner had an inside trip. So, listen, he's a good colt. This was by design to give him a little time after that race. He had three good runs at two three positive races, and um, I thought he showed in his Remington race that he could stretch out. And, uh, you know, looking forward to give it, getting him started at three, and I think he's a very good call. Brad, I've got two things. First off, I think I missed the memo with the zip-up sweater that everybody's wearing. <laughs> and secondly, it's, it's Mardi Gras. I'm the only one wearing Mardi Gras beads. Where, I mean, horses where are you? Where are your beads? Uh, I, I flew back to Kentucky yesterday for a few days and then back to Hot Springs. But uh, I, I went to a parade on Thursday. I was there for around an hour and it was enough for me. <laughs> so, 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 no, yeah, listen, it, it's – it's um, it's a good time, but it's not much for a horse trainer at all. It's it 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 a little, a little goes a long way. 
Yeah, absolutely. I spent a few winters down there. It's tough getting up in the morning, but I, I want to get back to verifying because he's the horse who I was privy with XBTV to watch all summer train um, in, in Saratoga. And he looks like a horse who each start, he's just got a little bit better. He's a half to midnight Bisu who got better with age. I'm not sure we've reached like his, his pinnacle yet. I, I have a feeling there's more in the tank. Um, I, well, I'm hoping there is because <laughs> no, he's a good colt. He ran some good figures last time. He's been, you know, fairly consistent. Um, his Breeders' Cup race, maybe he wasn't quite ready for that, but um, you know, he did move forward. And physically, what I love about this horse most of all is since his race at Oakland, he shipped back to the fairgrounds. He looks like he's grown. He looks like he's developed and continuing to develop physically. So that's always a positive sign with the three of this time of year. And uh, super excited about you know getting back up to Oakland and giving him a shot on Saturday. Brad, um, Randy mentioned all the horses you have in the points top uh, 20 or whatever, but how about the Derby Future Wager? We have 10 horses among the horses they're taking betting on. And I look back at your Derby record and, and it took me a little bit by surprise that you're relatively new to this. You've only started five horses in the Derby in your career, didn't have any starters in the Derby since 20 uh, before 2021. Uh, whether you win the, the Derby this year or not, to uh, be talking on February 21st and to have this overall depth, do you have to pinch yourself a little bit sometimes to, to think that my, we are in a great position here? Yeah, no, I, I think that, it, you know, it's – it's um, you're right. You're totally right. It, it is uh, new territory for us in regards to the Kentucky Derby. I mean, we've just been a part of the last two with five different horses. But, um, yeah, listen, this is what we work for. This has been my dream for a long, long time is to get into this position, acquire good colts from top outfits, top uh, uh, breeders, top um, owners throughout the country. And listen, the bottom line is, I mean, these horses, you you, you have to have a lot of them, I mean, to, to, to be on the stage. And I think um, what to have this many at this point, I think is just um, this proves that I think we got a really, really good program with these horses at two. We don't get in a big hurry with them. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of running at four and a half, five eighths of a mile, even five and a half. I like to, you know, give them the time. These horses have all sorts of baby issues, shins, um, curbs, splints, and uh, some of them, you know, just don't, you know, go on early on. And, you know, everybody sends me horses is well aware of, you know, listen, there's a good chance I'm going to call you and tell you, you know, this horse needs time. And, um, you know, class um, Angel of Empires actually one that didn't. He actually is one that just stepped up to the plate and been going all since been been going since last spring. But a lot of them do. Tappet's Conquest was a horse that had some setbacks. He was one of the first trials we got in last year. So I think um, you know, once again, very proud of the staff we have and them, my assistants being able to call me up or me going into their barn and saying, Hey, listen, this horse has shins, tendon, tendonitis, whatever. And, and um you know, just it's it's a team effort and it's years and years of training young horses and, you know, being able to stop on them when they need to be stopped on and then having them ready to go in the fall of their two year old year or the beginning of their three year old season to try to make that push for the Kentucky Derby because it is very, very demanding. Brad, you have won the Kentucky Derby because of Mandaloon being placed first uh, with the Medina Spirit uh, drug uh, positive. Do you feel like you've won the Kentucky Derby, though, or is this? Just not the same as if you see your horse cross the wire first this year. No, not even a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's not it's not like winning the Kentucky Derby. And listen, I guess if you know you're you're awarded the race, and you kind of have to explain. I'm I'm someone that's I would explain it. I wouldn't say, oh yeah, I won it. Well, you know, cross the wire first. I would have to explain it if I was to meet a stranger and they didn't know much about the Kentucky Derby and they were asked. But no, I definitely don't feel the 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 um that we've won the Kentucky Derby. And I've always said, listen, we we know the Kentucky Derby is not the um richest race run in America, but I think it is without a doubt the most prestigious. And that you know, that's you know, all the eyes are on racing that day, uh, with the telecast, the crowd and everything, and it's the thrill of victory, bottom line. And uh, I haven't experienced that through, and I look forward to someday. So, Brad, you talked about uh, how, you know, it's always been a goal to train for the top outfits, right? I've got a list here of like a dozen of your top three-year-olds, including a couple of maidens that have run exceptionally well. Looking at the owners, I mean, we're talking about Coolmore and Godolphin, the two arguably tops in the world. Cutter Racing, Stone Street, Windstar, 
West Point, the Albaws, Gary and Mary West, Spendthrift Farm, Frank Fletcher, Michael Dubb, Bob LaPenta, Edwards of E5, Saul Cuman, and Mattaquet. It's a murderer's row of owners. What's it like as a guy who grew up in Louisville, dreamed of being a trainer, when the phone rings and you pick it up and it's Coolmore, for example, asking if you'll take a, a two-year-old? Well, I mean, um, I mean, it's an amazing feeling. And, you know, we've worked very hard to get to this point, very happy with where we are. We're always continuing to want to move forward and acquire, you know, the, the best or, or try to, you know, yeah, acquire the best horses we can. And, um, you know, it, it's it's been it's been a great run, but, you know, we're not content. We're, you know, trying to build off this each and every year and, and trying to, um, you know, put ourselves in this position every year, to be honest, because this is really where we want to be. This is what our team thrives on is is making this march toward the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks and uh, the Triple Crown races. There's one horse who just broke his maiden, and he looked like an absolute pretty darn good horse this past weekend. Bishop's Bay, not only did he win, you also trained the runner-up. What can you tell us about those two? Because a 97 buyer speed figure just pops off the page and he was faster than everyone on the day. Yeah, he's a good colt. We liked him. I, I love this horse as a yearling, Liz Crow and Paul Sharp. I think he was one of the first horses I looked at when I arrived on the sales grounds that year, year for the September sale. And um, we all liked him a lot. I thought he was very, very, very good colt. Bought him from Warrendale Sales and uh, Windstar Stadium for a piece of him. But uh, um, he didn't show up until November. So he was another one that was late. Paul Sharp did a good job with him, took his time, brought him along. He showed up. And I want to say at some point in November um, to the fairgrounds, um, start breezing him. And um, he was doing well. And then we put some blinkers on him. He really kind of took off, I would say, probably um, end of December 1st, uh, January. It's like, wow, he, he's he's a nice cold. And his gate works were really good. So we thought, you know, he, he could be a good cold. And I do think he'll stretch. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, like, how far. But, like, I do think he'll stretch out. And in regards to the um, – Good off and Colt uh, first mission. He he, I do think he'll stretch. Um, he he's a nice Colt that's um, you know probably wanted a little bit more than three quarters first time out. Maybe just got a little tired late, but he's a Colt that I think has a big future and I uh, can't wait to get him around two turns. So how aggressive would you be right now with Bishop's Bay? I wouldn't be. I think that right now we we just bring him along, maybe try to run him back and five, six weeks, uh, not in a big hurry with him. Um, I think to think he's a derby horse is just premature. I think we're going to just bring him along and, um, you know, run him in a second, le first level allowance race. Um, maybe something like a, a two-turn race somewhere, whether it be the fairgrounds or Oaklawn. Um, and then maybe look at, you know, maybe – uh, you know, it's it's hard to say. Let's 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 stop there. But uh, in regards to those races, but I, I don't are those, really think are those easy to find? Two turn allowance races, a other than condition for three year old colts. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes they can be. Um, you know, these these horses are still developing and, and getting better as the year goes on. Brad, among all your two year olds from last year, most people, myself included, thought Loggins was your best horse. Um, I see now you've officially taken him off the uh, list of horses to be considered for the Kentucky Derby. Give us an update on him and why has he been a little bit slow to come around this year? He he he's back under tack at Windstar. He is jogging. Um, and he was just a little funky behind. He just wasn't 100% behind. Um, not, nothing really jumped out on him. Dr. Sutter looked at him several different times, and he has come around. He's starting to go the right way. We are taking our time. And, you know, once again, um, he's part of that Colts group we put together last summer. Um, and, you know, I, I have to remind myself, and we have to remind our owners sometimes, this isn't a derby group. It, it, it's it's a stallion group that we're hoping to make stallions out of. And, listen, the Kentucky Derby, it's, it you know, it's a demanding it's it's demanding on these horses to get them there, but you know we I just wasn't happy with the horse the way it came out of the um, the the Keelan race, the Breeders' Fraternity, and we give him the time he needed, and it's just taken a little bit more time than than expected, and unfortunate, and just you know part of it. But you know you got to give him the time when they need it, and he's uh, seems to be over his ailments and going the right way, and hopefully we'll we'll have him back in our barn here in a few weeks. So Brad, Bill mentioned that your horses in the Risen Star ran in reverse order of the odds. Uh, yeah. I'm always telling people that given how inexperienced most three-year-olds are nowadays, how much less they're running than they used to run back in the old days, that just like the horse players, trainers are learning about them as you go along as well. 
Uh, do you agree with that? And can you comment on that a little bit? Zero doubt. No, that's that's 100 percent right. Um, listen, at the end of the day, I mean, we we, we breeze these horses, most all of them weekly. Um, and, you know, we evaluate them. We watch them the morning after we watch them, you know, throughout the week leading up to their breezes. And and, you know, listen, um, you, you form opinions, right? Like, I mean, that's that's what we as uh, trainers, you know, watch them breeze against one another. I mean, I've seen horses, you know, go out of the mornings and, um, you know, out, you know, Bishop's Bay and, and, and First Mission were an example of like horses that work several times against each other and showed, uh, you know, Bishop's Bay was probably a little bit handier of the mornings uh, where First Mission always gallop out well. So, you know, we thought we'd just get them started both three quarters and, you know, we liked them both. But First Mission made it a little bit more interesting late than I expected, um, maybe first time out for him. And I told Louie that day, I said, listen, I said, this called, he'll break, put him in the race and, you know, let him gallop out. Um, and get something out of it so, you know, we can hopefully stretch them out next time. But at the end of the day, we don't really know for sure what's going to happen. There's no doubt about that. You just, you know, line them up and you can form your opinion. And when it works out, you can say, hey, I'm right. <laughs> when it doesn't, you're wrong. But I will say, in fairness to my assistant, uh, Jorge Abrego, which has been with me basically since the beginning, he runs the Oakland string and he comes to Churchill. He told me when he sent Angel of Empire up, he said, I'm sending the winner for the Risen Star up. So uh, in fairness to him, he, he called it. I mean, he said the cult would run run a, a big race and we were working him uh, the week before we'd worked him with uh, an older horse uh named um film star which is pretty pretty solid workhorse um i mean they 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 work really really well together and he galloped out great so we expected him to run a big race so we we would never expect you to answer this straight up because all these horses most of them are owned by different people but in your list of all these three-year-olds, and you've got Iron Clover and Slip Mahoney probably coming up in the Gotham, and you got this horse Wadsworth at Turfway Park that's been winning, and all the horses we've talked about already. In your mind, do you feel confident that you know the one horse, whether you can tell us or not, that would have the best chance out of all of your horses in the Kentucky Derby? Or is that still TBD? Oh, it's no doubt TBD for sure. I mean, I, I can't answer that. I mean, I, I think that it's just, it sounds like, oh, first Saturday in May, it's right around the corner, but that's not the case. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a long ways off thoroughbreds, um, uh, you know, their career and, and what they have to do over the next couple of months. I mean, it's, it's very demanding a schedule and, um, I, I don't know. Listen, I think both coach running Saturday are very good Colts in the rebel. Um, I think they're two of the better ones, and we'll, you know, we'll see how I'm not plays playing out poker Saturday. with you. Absolutely. <laughs> Never playing poker with Brad Cox. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. All right, Brad, you've been training for 19 years. So it really was only just a handful of years ago that you just seemed to burst onto the scene, even though you've been training for 19 years. You just celebrated your 2000th win. Your two sons work right alongside with you, Bryson and Blake. What kind of a feeling was it to get to number 2000, knowing where you've come from over the years? Uh, well, um, I mean, well, um, I can remember like win number 100, I think it was a Delaware Park. Um, and I can remember, I think number 300 was like, I think I was flying to Saratoga and it was at Ellis Park and I was on a plane. I was able to watch race. So it, it, it's really special because uh, you, you think about where you were when those races happen. Uh, but, you know, again, it's been a long road. And like you said, we've been at this a while. I mean, been very fortunate over the last probably 10 years to really start picking up good horses. And, you know, it started with claiming and, and doing well with claimers. And then it seemed like you started picking up a lot more fillies and, you know, having some fillies pick off some graded stakes here and there. And, you know, someone told me, I'll never forget this. They said, you have to do well with fillies. And you, ha you have to do with well with fillies before they'll ever send you Colts. And it was very, very true. And then it parlayed over into, you know, people starting to trust us with Colts. So um, it, it, it's been neat. I mean, it's been a great run. Um, you know, there's some things looking back, I think, you know, maybe I went out on my own too early. I was 24, almost 25 years old when I went out on my own. And I think to myself, man, well, I should have maybe waited five years. But, you know, um, maybe I should have waited till I was 30. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think um, I would have changed anything. I like the way I've done it. Um, started with, you know, Running a turfway in the winters, um, I learned a lot from that. And, um, you know, I think when my business obviously started going the right way is when I started taking that jump and um, traveling south in the winters. You remember your 300th. What do you remember from your first winner? 
all those years back in 2004? I remember a lot of a lot of things. I remember it was Joe Johnson rode the horse. It was a horse that named One Lucky Storm, December fourth, two thousand or yeah, two thousand four. And um, I'd ask, I believe a jock agent had the lead rider. I don't want to say any names, but I asked him to ride the horse and he said, no, I can't ride, ride her there. I'd ride her for, he would ride her if I run her for 15. I said, eh, you know, I got, got like three horses, you know, I think I'm going to run her for 30 and she won. And uh, that's probably what I remember most about it. It was my second, she was my first starter. I'd run her a few weeks before that at Churchill. And then she um, won a couple weeks later there at Turfway. I think I ran her for open 10 first time out. And then I ran her back in a 33 life and she won at Turfway. And it was still dirt at the time as well in 04. Very cool. So growing up by, by Churchill Downs and always dreaming from a young age, wanting to be a horse trainer, was there one guy, one horse trainer that you met when you were young, that you thought, oh, my God, I cannot believe I got a chance to meet Yeah, that's easy. D. Wayne Lucas. Yeah, walking out of the paddock at Churchill, yeah. He was he was, he was was the man. He still is. But he, yeah, when I was coming up, I mean, it was every weekend. I can remember, you know, at an early age, I mean, you, the, the, the feature race for me every weekend was a maiden special weight there. The two-year-olds in the spring, he had the, obviously the Overbrook horses and Bob and Beverly Lewis horses, and they're obviously always well-bred. And that w- that was kind of the highlight of the weekend for me. Well, we want to thank Brad Cox, this week's Green Group Guest of the Week. Brad, thanks so much for your time. Congratulations on past successes. Good luck this weekend in the Rebel Stakes. Thank Talk you, guys. Again. Thank you guys for having me and look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Happy Mardi Gras. As this week's guest of the week, Brad Cox will receive a free one-hour tax consultation from the Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. Again, you can learn more at www.greenco.com. Why do the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisor? We simply save them money and know how to make them more successful. Over the past 40 years, founder Leonard Green has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. His in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. With some of the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year-round, there's never been a better time to reap the rewards of breeding and racing in Kentucky. Purse money in Kentucky is at an all-time high, as is average purse per race, outpacing California, Florida, and New York. Kentucky Breads. Breed them. Raise them race them. We all win. The TD and Riders Room is also brought to you by the KTOB. 11 of TD Thornton's Derby Top 12 are Kentucky Breds. That includes number one and number two, Arabian Night and Breeders' Cup Juvenile Winner Forte, but also new additions to the Top 12, Red Route One from the Aspison Stable, who goes in the Rebel, and also Go Rocket Ride, trained by Dick Mandela, who will run next week in the San Felipe. So again, all but one of the TDN Top 12 bred in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So at this point in the show, we are going to talk about the big weekend races, and we thought we would be talking about Santa Anita, where the feature scheduled on Saturday was the Santa Isabel. It was going to be a, a crucial prep for the uh, Santa Anita Oaks and, of course, then the Kentucky Oaks, uh, led by Faza, Justique, um, a bunch of really good horses in there. But, Zoe, that's not going to happen. Tell us what's going on at Santa Anita. No, we're recording this on Wednesday, and by the time this comes out, the press release will be out that Santa Anita will cancel races throughout the weekend. Now we're expecting between three to five inches of rain on Friday into Saturday, and looks like Sunday's actually going to be pretty good. But the problem that they're going to face is that most of the horses that would be running on Sunday will be unable to train. Hence, the Santa Anita crew and the staff got together with all of the trainers, and they all agreed that they would cancel through the weekend. The Santa Isabel and the baffle stakes that were carded for this weekend will be rolled over into next weekend. Now we're expected to have a first Super Saturday next Saturday on March the 4th. I'm not sure where the Santa Isabel is going to fit. They might push that to Sunday as well, but 
certainly it's going to be a huge weekend of racing at Santa Anita next weekend. But for this weekend, we're just fastening down the hatches and going to be very quiet out here. And Santa Anita continues to err on the side of caution. It's obviously working because if we've talked about and reported on their, their safety record has just been incredible over the last couple of years. Uh, and they certainly have moved the needle quite a bit. So uh, no problem with them canceling. Uh, don't take any chances is their, I think their unofficial motto. And uh, certainly uh, it is working out for them. Okay, so that leaves the card at Oakland Park on Saturday. That's really the main attraction in thoroughbred racing. Bunch of stakes races. The Honey Bee is a grade three for three-year-old fillies. And we've talked uh, about the Rebel Stakes grade three. Only in Oakland could you have a $1 million <laughs> race that is a prep for a prep for the Kentucky Derby. My goodness, the money that they have there is just incredible. And, you know, it's working out for them because they, they get very strong fields. Will Brad Cox do it again? He's got the two-to-one morning line favorite, Verifying, and the five-to-two second-choice giant, Mischief. I'm actually going to pick Reincarnate. I, I, those are the three horses. Reincarnate seven to two. So those are the three horses in the line. Hard to separate them. But uh, Reincarnate, who will run for Tim Yachtin, first time outside of the Baffert Barn, uh, looks like a horse on the improve. Won the sham last time out over Newgate, who came back to win the Robert B. Lewis, that race that Baffert had the four horses in there. Hard to separate them. But um, for uh, just for fun, and we would like to make a pick here, I'll go with Reincarnate, Randy. I mean, that's the big three. I mean, they're not the only horses in the race that have a chance to win, but that's definitely the big three. And the two trained by uh, trained by Brad Cox way up there. I mean, verifying that huge win at Oakland in an allowance race in his last start, 97 buyer speed figure. He's gotten better and better. Brad Cox says he was mentally immature last year, starting to come around in that way this year. And the horse that ran third behind him in that allowance race, uh, a horse by the name of Eagle uh, Two Eagles River, came back and won a big allowance race last week at Oakland to sort of flatter uh, Verifying's win. Giant Mischief, when he ran at Remington Park, was absolutely left at the gate and still came on to run a really creditable second with a decent speed figure. So I've been waiting to see him come back. And to your point, I loved Reincarnate's last race. A very, very fast pace in the sham. He was dogging it out all the way on the front end, fighting off challenger after challenger dug in and won it at the end. The buyer came back at 95, despite the fast pace. So, hey, I mean, I, I'm i right there with you. I think reincarnate's going to be really tough to beat. I got one question, guys. It used to be easy to get to Oakland Park when you had um, Sutton, when he had the plane, Tex Sutton. You used to just leave uh, Ontario and fly right into Hot Springs Airport. It was one of the easiest ships ever. If you're a human, it's a little bit harder to get there. But if you're a horse, it was easier. Without Tex Sutton, Reincarnate is having to fly. He's flown already. Um, FedEx. So he leaves the FedEx pot here. He goes to Memphis, and then he has the van from Memphis to Oakland. So not quite as simple as they used to just fly in there. So that may be one edge against Reincarnate. Um, I did like his last race. He looked fat in the paddock, to be honest. It's not often that I would call a Bob Baffert horse fat, but he was certainly quite rotund and he won in spite of it. I think he's a horse who carries an awful lot of condition, which is a good thing, a really good thing moving forward. And I think he's going to handle everything that's thrown at him. But I love the horse on the rail. I've liked him all along and I'll take verifying in here if I have to pick anyone. I think he's a horse who's just getting bigger, and better at just the right time. The TDM Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. The workout of the week this week is Carmel Road, who worked five furlongs on Monday morning in 59 flat. Now, Carmel Road was last seen running second in the Los Alfaturity. Tim Yachtin won that race with Practical Move. Carmel Road is now trained by Tim Yachtin and looks like he will go forward to run in the Gotham this weekend all the thrills fraction of the bills experience the power of the partnership change your life make new friends and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing west point thoroughbreds the gold standard in racing partnerships Visit westpointtb.com. 
The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining a West Point Thoroughbred partnership can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie among people surrounding high-class horses and stakes action for a fraction of the cost of trying to do it on your own. Just try it. It's expensive. Learn more at westpointtb.com. This week at Gulfstream, Empress of War got the nose down on the wire for a game maiden win over the Tapita track. Hall of Famer Shug McGahee told the West Point crew he was happy with the win and they would have some fun with her this year, here, there, and everywhere. And on Monday, Mademoiselle Jackie showed the win, held on over the Gulfstream Park turf to break her maiden for trainer Christophe Clement, who stretched her out to nine furlongs for the win. This week's Remy Block cartoon, which runs every Friday in the Thoroughbred Daily News, is in. This is a cute one. You have a, a picture of a horse in a stall, looks all content, and there's a fish tank in there with him, obviously for companionship. And one guy says to the other, wouldn't it be cheaper to just get a goat? Uh, would be. Those uh, tropical fish can get pretty expensive. Well, that's a wrap on this week's show, this week's Thoroughbred Daily News Writer's Room podcast. I want to thank the Green Group guest of the week, Brad Cox, my cohorts of Randy Moss, Zoe Cadman, our producer, Patty Wolf, our associate producer, Katie Petruniak, our editors, Anthony LaRocca, Alia Rocca, and Nathan Wilkinson, and this week's special mascot, Zoe's dog, Doodle. There's somewhere, right, Zoe? I think he's ducked out. He's outside. <laughs> Okay. Well, anyways, Doodle uh, joined us a little bit earlier in the show. Lucy will be back, I presume, next week. Once again, thanks for tuning us in. We'll talk to you next week. 